Hey, pull up a chair. It's Hacks on Tap with David Axelrod, Robert Gibbs, and Mike Murphy. This election is a referendum. It's not a referendum, I should say. It's a choice. Everybody wants to make it a referendum, but it's a choice between two vastly different visions for America, significantly different. Democrats are building a better America for everyone, with an economy that grows from the bottom up and the middle out, where everyone does well. Republicans are doubling down on their mega, mega, trickle-down economics that benefits the very wealthy, failed the country before, and will fail it again if they win. Well, Earth to our president, it is a referendum. That was a nice try, <laughs> but uh, we're we're all seeing the numbers. It is turning yeah, into a normal. Freudian slip was showing there. I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a little, a little bit. So uh, it it is a referendum. It's one on him, as these midterms always are. And you know, here we are. It's tightening up. That is the question. That is the question. And we have the brilliant, the savant. <laughs> Amy Walter of the Cook Report with Amy Walter here with us today to sort out two weeks, Amy. Two weeks Ooh, we two have to weeks. go. Yeah. Yeah. Which in the modern era means election day started yesterday because of mail in and early ballots and all that, but we're in the clutch and you're the person to have on with us. Yeah. I mean, the question okay. is because this is always the challenge for incumbent parties how do you turn a midterm election into a choice and not a referendum? It's an almost impossible task, isn't it? It always is. And, you know, voters are not naive. They know who's in charge, right? So it's, and voters also live in the here and now, not in the theoretical. Now, I think the one difference, though, at least in the, I guess we'll call it the modern era, so the Trump era and since Trump, our polarization has only gotten more intense and more calcified. And so I think the swings are not quite as violent as they were, say, back in the 2010, 1994, even 2006. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) where partisans are unwilling to defect and you are seeing, you know, signs of not not only are they not willing to defect, but they're also going to turn out, um, which, you know, again, the problem for Republicans in 2006, their voters were really down in the dumps, frustrated with Bush. They didn't show up and independence broke overwhelmingly for Democrats. Boom, they pick up 30 seats. 2014, we know the story there, incredibly low turnout. It's especially true on the Democratic side. Republicans have a great night on the Senate. 2018 was a good night for Democrats in the House. Not as great in the Senate, of course, due mostly to the map. But I think it could have been a worse night for Republicans in 2018 had the Republican base not been as engaged. And I think that's what we might see election night this year. I talked to a Democratic pollster who is like us, been through the wars, been through many, many of these and said, you know, I would put things as dire, but not catastrophic. Yeah, well, that's (laughs) Um, kind of that's kind of where things are. Yeah. I mean, this we've been talking about this for some time. All of those things are true, but here's what you have. You have on one side uh, sort of record wrong track on the part of the country. People are not, they're in a sour mood, 8% inflation, uh, president's uh, economic job approval is, is, is bad. 
uh, and his overall numbers are down in the 40s. All those would speak to a big Republican win. On the other hand, you have this Dobbs issue, which is which is big and mobilizing, uh, and uh, that maybe has changed, you know, uh, uh, the thing from catastrophic to dire. But it feels like those sort of fundamental economic things are, you know, their gravity and they're pulling people back. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. always been true. Yeah. I mean, I think the argument, and we've been talking about it for well over a year, is this a normal midterm where the party in power gets punished? The question is to what degree? Or is it different? And it is the nature of political media that every cycle find a reason it's different. You know, soccer mobs, the you know, internet, there's always a magic thing, and it's much more fun to obsess on that. And then here we are reverting to mean. And even in a, even in a quote-unquote normal bad off year, there's always the hope, you know, and you alluded to it, both of you guys did, and Biden, of course, really, that, oh, you can, we're making a choice, not a referendum. But when you have an accelerant like massive inflation, which is an incumbent killer, you add all that together. And I think it's always been a question of, can it be catastrophic or, or bad? And I'm not sure it's still not going to be catastrophic. I mean, I agree with Amy that tribalism is one thing. The other thing is redistricting has narrowed the playing field right. a little. So it's mm-hmm. harder right. to lose as many house seats. But that's All right. my liberal friends I bump into in L.A. are, well, luckily that Herschel Walker can't win or that Dr. Oz. I'm like, stay tuned. Right. Because right. in a way yeah. of election, a, a, a brick can go 200 feet, a, a big, yeah. heavy cinder. How hard do you have to search for your liberal friends in Los Angeles? Is that Are they hidden or do you bump into Well, luckily them? I was with a bunch of my arch conservative friends here in Manhattan in tuxedos last night. I felt very yes. at home. But um, no, no, they're, you know, they, the part, see, the problem we've got now with the polling industrial complex is we consultant hacks and analysts like Amy use polling to kind of take the electorate apart and see where it may be moving. Yeah. And the campaigns, you know, we find ways to try to move it to our, the direction we want. Most people on either side use polling in the media as a therapy animal. Oh, thank God, we're up more <laughs> in right. Pennsylvania. Well, and the problem is you can always find a th- you can always find a therapy animal that suits your needs. Is the, right exactly is the thing. And and right. the worst thing polls are at is telling you what's going to happen in two weeks. They're great about telling you what would have happened two weeks ago in a ballot question. And in marginal races like this, how polls are done actually matters. Uh, because you know, you if you uh, if you're excessively reliant on online polling, you're likely to get a democratic bias. If you're if you're using you know these automated calls and you get a lot of landlines, you're you're going to get a, a Republican bias. But everybody treats them the same way. I mean, a poll right. comes out, it's like, well, this is where it must be. And regardless of what it costs, publisher, hey, give me a four thousand dollar poll. That way, I can create a story and cover it. Woohoo! Clicks. And you know, yeah. the real polling is expensive and difficult. Amy, how do you deal with that? How, how do you guys deal with that? Because you got to evaluate them and yeah. make predictions. So I, before I got on with you, I went on to the um, 538 has the great tracker of all the Senate yeah. race polls. And then, you know, they uh, average them out or in their magic. And they apply formula. some source. Yes, Applies apply especially. Different. But yes. the point is, you're just following a trend line, right? The trend is your friend more so than the number. I've been... I feel like screaming into the wind about this for the last four years, but people talking about the margin is the wrong way to look at it. You have to look at the vote share. And so let's look at Ohio. You look at that race and yeah, oh my gosh, Ryan's up three. 
oh, now it's one, it's a one point race. Now it's in, in the 538 average, Tim Ryan has been at uh, 45% since July. Right. So he's been, and sometimes at 45, 46%, he was ahead because uh, JD Vance was, you know, at 42 or 39 or wherever he was. But if you're, two weeks out and you're at 45%, that may be your ceiling. Or the the Georgia race, as you were talking about, Mike, where nobody is close to 50. Nobody's sort of touched 50. And there's a runoff. And there's a runoff. And there's a runoff. Um, if you don't get to 50. Right. Now, there are two new polls showing Fetterman up above 50 in Pennsylvania. And you can see that's a place where if Fetterman wins, it will be that Oz just his surge started too late. He just didn't have time to catch up, right? Because you can see those lines starting to come closer and closer together. But will he be able, you know, will Oz be able to just get up above? So that's where I go as I look at, all right, Patty Murray, you know, she's right at that 50% line. Okay, that's a heck of a lot better than, you know, as I said, being at 46% 46% going yeah. into the. But Amy, you win the coveted annual Hacks on Tap Transition Award because speaking of Fetterman, debates don't always matter. But in some of these races this year, they're going to be huge. And we wanted to talk a little bit about some of those debates. Yes, that's good. Put Stop right there. And Jeff, play that combo clip from the, uh, the debate last night in Florida in the governor's race. Ron, you talk about Joe Biden a lot. I understand. You think you're going to be running against him. I can see how you might get confused. But you're running for governor. You're running for governor. And I have a question for you. You're running for governor. Why don't you look in the eyes of the people of the state of Florida and say to them, if you're reelected, you will serve a full four-year term as governor. Yes or no? Yes or no, Ron? Will you serve a full four-year term if you're reelected governor of Florida? It's not a tough question. It's a fair question. He won't tell you. We did not agree on the candidates asking each other questions. Governor, it's your turn. Well, listen, I know that Charlie's interested in talking about 2024 and Joe Biden, but I just want to make things very, very clear. The only worn out old donkey I'm looking to put out to pasture is Charlie Chris. All right. That was the Florida debate. Uh, Another hot one. I didn't watch. I don't know. Uh, if either of you got well, you were you were speechifying, Murphy. I don't know, Amy, if you got to watch that. I was, I was watching another Titanic battle between the Bulls and the uh, and the Celtics last night. So I, I, I only saw clips of the debate. But it, you know, uh, DeSantis is well ahead, and he is looking ahead to the presidential race. Chris, uh, you know, the, there's one thing about running perpetually for office. He's a damn good debater. Oh, he's a pro. You know, the joke yeah. in Florida politics is if there's a nuclear war, there'll be nothing left but cockroaches and Charlie Crisp. He's a survivor. <laughs> he never quits. And he put a few scratches on DeSantis. Not enough, I think, to change the outcome. But he'll get a couple-day ride now out of it. Yeah. I mean, generally, Amy, uh, how much of these debates actually matter? I think they matter if they generate some sort of viral moment. This clip and let's be really clear, the clip before DeSantis starts speaking, um, the clip where he sort of puts DeSantis on the defensive, is going around right now as a meme, yeah. as sort of uh, 
progressive porn, right? Love, love, <laughs> liberals love watching this on loop, right? <laughs> It'll be a you. Lincoln Project ad with a 1-800-GIVE-MONEY <laughs> yeah. thing in an hour. Yeah, right. well, especially with DeSantis, who's, who, exactly. who loves, loves to bully and create those kind of moments for right. himself. But he's not going to change the mind of any, you know, this no, is the no, sort of no. thing that we uh, in the, in the media obsess about that, that regular voters. But don't. you know what? I kind of think that that one in Georgia a couple of weeks ago was yeah, more, I totally more, more meaningful because expectations were so low for Herschel yeah. Walker and he exceeded them. And, uh, you know, he survived, which the people, and he came across as kind of authentic. Uh, and Warnock kind of blew it. So there, it wasn't only that Herschel managed to kind of, you know, Biden his way through the thing and inflation, but Warnock had bad moments in it. And of course, he came in at the expectations of being the smooth orator. And it, it kind of, frankly, it, it gave a little second life to the Herschel campaign. They were in a bit of a spiral there, though. I think the, the wave will prop them up a lot. You know, the other debate at one point. Not all these debates have any viewership. We all all agree that the big meme, the sound bite's always important. It's all over the TV news. But some of these hot font, they're on real affiliate television at a real time, which means they attract some real eyeballs. And I, another one, and I, I keep plugging it because it's a right. sleeper race at national media. The Evan McMullen Mike Lee debate was on real TV all over the state at seven o'clock. And, and somebody working on the race there, it it was a good moment for McMullen. So, you know, I think debates are back a little. Yeah, I was just in Georgia and, you know, sitting at the hotel bar, as one does, um, <laughs> by myself. And look, all the sports oh, that's so sad. are on the TV. Yeah, it's no, really we're... sad. Uh, all the sports are on the TV, but so was the lieutenant governor debate. Now, right. was anyone at the bar watching the lieutenant governor debate? No. But the point is, it's out there, right? It was um. like... In front of people, but some of these, some are larger than others. Yeah. You know, yes. But while the debate, there's a debate tonight. We're That's recording right. this in the morning. Uh, that uh, people may have seen by the time they hear us uh, pontificate about something we haven't seen and don't know anything about. <laughs> oh, come is, on! That's never stopped us before. That's yeah, what we that's do. The, that's the stock and trade here. Read your union handbook of the amalgamated pundits union. But that's what we originally gave Amy the transition award for. The Fetterman debate is going to be big, 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 big odds. But remember, it's not just the bar for Fetterman and the challenges that he has in recovering from his stroke. But Oz is very good at this. Like He was on TV for how many years? He is very smooth, very polished. So he has an opportunity. Yeah, he can sell like uh, crazy uh, made-up pharmaceutical stuff and devices. Nobody's going to hear the debate because dogs are going to be growling at the screen all <laughs> over Pennsylvania. Hey, Fido, be quiet. What is it with you? And I mean, I love my dog. My, I have, I am obsessed by my dog Mac. But uh, you, you still think that his mistreatment of dogs is going to tip this race? No, no, I've never said that. I said it's going to be a big thing in the race, and they've got a spot up on it. I, I would have done a lighter spot. I'm sorry. I was, I was barking up at the wrong tree there. I, okay, all right. I'll throw you a bone here and one more pun. <laughs> they should have done the clutch cargo ad with the talking dog. Hey, idiot. <laughs> but no, my point about the debate tonight, though, is not only would it have real viewership for spectacle in a real race, 
it also for both candidates is that rarest but most powerful potential debate, which is a narrative bender, a restart. Mm-hmm. For Oz, it's like I'm not a bozo from New Jersey. I'm smooth on TV and I'm right on crime. He's wrong. Uh, it could be the Wizard of Oz as the tabloid would tomorrow. On the other hand, Fetterman's got this problem with the stroke, and he's got to turn it either into the whole state's rooting for this guy, uh, and what's a brave, tough thing to be dealt a hand like that and to come back from it, and he's got to create that narrative, or it's going to be deconstructed as, boy, he's really having trouble. And remember, in the in the primary, Fetterman pre-stroke was not a great debater. So the stakes are high for both of them. They both have an opportunity to be in a somewhat different race tomorrow. Because right now, I believe the trajectory is wave, and that means Oz. But if you're prepping if you're prepping Oz, Amy, wouldn't you be a little bit careful about being too slick, too smooth? Absolutely. Too aggressive, particularly on the health issue, uh, because his problem is, you know, whereas Fetterman has, there is this sense of authenticity because he's so different and, you know, so out of the mold of the traditional politician, Oz is a slickster and, right. uh, and people don't particularly trust him. And that's something that I would be concerned about going into this debate. That's right. So he's been trying to do this now, well, for the last couple of months of being the connector, right? He's in Philadelphia. He's going to parts of the city that ha- are blighted and have been ignored he is hugging people in his ads. He is trying to appeal to, remember, this was the Donald Trump uh, reason for endorsing him, trying to appeal to those suburban women yeah. who are feeling <laughs> frustrated by and worried about both the economy and the crime, crime in Philadelphia, especially, right. and that he can connect in a way that looks more genuine than it does to your point like a kind of a slick salesman i i would think he should be able to balance both of those things and as mike said and i agree with this too while being unrelenting in putting fetterman on defense on his record not making it personal just saying you've been lieutenant governor here's your record on the parole board Here's right. your record on the environment and what you said about fracking. Here's what you said about Bernie Sanders. Here's what you said about drug criminalization. Boom. Just make it all the facts oh, and try totally. to get away yeah. from all the other stuff. I, I agree. Just a quick interjection, if I can. It's a mistake for him to do health stuff. He ought to go the other way. He Absolutely. ought to open the debate. I want to speak Absolutely. as a physician right now, not as a candidate for a minute. I know how tough stroke recovery is. I've seen it. I've worked it. I want to congratulate. John Fetterman for the grit and determination he's shown and overcome. I think we all and 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 bless it. And then go on to the difference here as issues. Let the stroke stuff be a subtext. Don't touch it. I don't I don't think that I would do that unprompted, but there yes. will be a question about health. And then he then his that's an opportunity for him to do. Yeah, the point is be the loving physician, not the hatchet man on that. He doesn't need to. Yeah. But for Fetterman, it seems to me. Yes, he has to pass, uh, you know, he has to pass uh, the sort of the test on on whether he can, you know, hack it generally in terms of the debate. But he also he needs to be able to fight back on the parole board stuff. And he needs to launch some attacks on Oz, who has, a, a, you know, a lot of vulnerabilities, most of them on the fact that, you know, he's 
changed positions radically. He doesn't really live in Pennsylvania. And he's kind of a phony baloney guy. I mean, or is that that's a perception of him? That would be the job for Fetterman. Whether he can achieve it, I don't know. And he's not going to be quick and adroit because of his medical thing. There's a time lag, which means he's not going to be the snappy reply guy. He's just at the present point of his recovery. That'll be hard for him to do. So, you know, it, it, but this is one of these debates that's going to be a moment. And uh, I think it's a moment that Fetterman needs more than Oz does because Oz is grinding forward. You know, the crime thing is always funny. Sometimes the crime issue is manufactured. With Fetterman, there's legit stuff. Fetterman's for that's a minority position in Pennsylvania, and the Oz campaign's done a good job of pushing it forward. And the question is, can Fetterman bend that narrative too, just on that issue? Yeah, and and uh, fi- and fire back. Let's stop for a minute and listen to a word from one of our fine sponsors. This episode is supported by NOAA News Over Audio, which is an audio app offering narrated articles from some of the world's best publications, such as The Economist, Bloomberg, Foreign Affairs, and The New York Times. NOAA, think ARC, but NOAA now, think an audio app where you can listen to articles you don't have the time to read across topics such as my personal favorite, no surprise, the 2022 U.S. midterms, politics, world affairs, business and economics, and science and technology. NOAA works with over 20 premium publications, including Foreign Affairs, I subscribe, it's great, Bloomberg, The Economist, Harvard Business Review, MIT Technology Review, which is another great read, The New York Times, The Washington Post, and many many more. There are over 25,000 professionally narrated articles with new articles added every day. You can find NOAA in the App Store and Play Store by searching NOAA News. That's N-O-A News. It only costs $7.99 per month, but listeners to Hacks on Tap can receive 30 days free premium access. So it's fantastic, Hacks. You can literally, on your drive, your commute, waiting at the airport, whatever it may be, on a plane. Articles you'd want to read, but you don't have time, you can listen to them just like an audio book. That's the magic of Noah, which you can get in the App Store. Go to newsoveraudio.com slash hacks and bingo. You get 30 days of Noah premium account for free. That's newsoveraudio.com slash hacks. So visit newsoveraudio.com forward slash hacks to get 30 days of Noah premium access for free. That's newsoveraudio.com forward slash hacks, and you get 30 days of NOAA Premium for free. You talk about Oz's fluidity on TV, and of course he's been on TV for years and years and years. Thanks, Oprah. But What's interesting is, you know, when Trump went around recruiting his candidates, I mean, the first thing that he looks at, he thinks of himself as a casting director, right? He's a TV guy. And his his thing is, are they, you know, are they famous? Are they, you know, in Herschel Walker's case, he was a football hero in Georgia. You know, Oz has been on TV. Carrie Lake, who's running for governor in Arizona, 27 years as a television anchor woman. It's kind of working. No, I know. I mean, what does that say about our politics that you don't have to be proficient in proficient on policy? You just have to be good on TV. You just have to know how to use TV. Well, it's really a story about our popular culture. And, you know, I flip the channels when I'm not seeing cage fighting. I'm seeing women throwing white wine glasses at each other on the back of a party bus. Uh, The real housewives of hell or whatever it is. 
So I thought you were describing your life. I didn't. Uh, no, no, it'd be. Okay. I'm Irish. It'd be a whiskey bottle, and you'd hear <laughs> sirens in the background, getting closer and closer. The the old joke. Uh, I was the O'Malley wedding. Pretty good on six squad cars. So, but the point is that's that's now ubiquitous everywhere. My theory is that the stakes are lower now. It's not uh, in a where how you vote in the election decides whether you're on Anzio Beach and, and and big world thermonuclear war against the Russians, the big scary stuff. So it's become a little bit of entertainment, and we see it in our our politics. I mean, Carrie Lake is a perfect example uh, because she's got a pretty good filter for Zoom calls on on TV interviews, and she's been a prompter reader for a living, formerly pro Obama, by the way, now a Trumper. And uh, Katie Hobbs, governor's race in Arizona, has turned out to be a terrible candidate. And on the skills that may not count in governing, but sure, count in campaign, I'm terrified Carrie Lake's going to win purely on that. You guys have it leaning her way, don't you? We still have both as toss ups because it's Arizona and these two races are going to be a point or two, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, Senate and, and governor, um, just merely by the lean of the state. But I agree there will be voters who look at Carrie Lake and say, I know that she's maybe said some of these things that are a little bit out of the norm, but she really can't be that bad, right? Because I, I know her. I see, right, I've right, seen her right. for 25 years in my living room. Right, right. She does the news, tells it the way it is. Right, right. right. Unlike those politicians. Huge right. advantage. Yeah. Huge advantage. Right. These things can flip, these races can flip either way, particularly these high-profile races are candidate-sensitive and so on. So in my mind, you know, the thing that I've been around a long time, we've all been around a long time, your gut usually tells you one thing, even as your head is trying to tell you other things. And, you know, my gut just tells me right now that these coin flips are going to go one way, as they generally do in these kinds of elections. And, you know, the advantages are, are, are with the Republicans. I mean, I just... Oh, yeah. My, my gut tells yeah. me it may yeah. be bigger than we think. We may see a Patty Murray go down or a Michael Bennett in a really tough race or Bullduck in New Hampshire only lose by two. Uh, I, I'm, I'm old enough. I'm not as Jurassic as you are. I'm, you know, a one click behind you. But I'm old enough to remember 1980. Yeah, no. Uh, when you looked at the Senate afterward, and it was basically a holy bleep moment for the Democrats. How did you know we were we were one point up? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would add four to the Republican numbers of you know whatever they are three days out. Now I may be overreacting, but boy, I feel the rumbles. You know, it's like the movie where all of a sudden the floor is moving, then Godzilla's head comes up through the Times Square. Yeah. Uh, yeah, maybe I'm wrong, but you're taking midterm inflation and popular president. I know, and we. I feel yeah. rumbles in my gut too, but I think it yep. may have been the the raisin bran. Um, <laughs> right. I mean, this has you're all for weak. a while now. We've been <laughs> saying, you know, this feels more like 24. We're always trying to look for the analogy, right? So is this really more 2014, where you know it's a great, it's a good year for Republicans, but not as devastating in the House, in part because there just aren't that many seats left to go, right? So the big rumbles in 2010 or 1994, and we discussed this earlier, but just structurally, it's harder for that to happen because Republicans would need to win in districts that are like Biden plus 10, right? Not just a plus four, five, or six. At the same time, 
um, we are, and we aren't feeling that like, oh my gosh, the bottom is dropping out, or at least not hearing that. So the data is saying, well, the bottom's not dropping out. Our guts are saying, but we've kind of been here before as you go into these last two weeks and where the focus is all, almost all on economy, what's happening in Russia, right? Problems in Europe, like we're only talking about uh, stuff that makes people even more anxious uh, about the status quo. And I don't know that Democrats have a great closing argument right now for why to keep things status quo. And we have more data, but it's not as good. Yeah, well, that's we, probably we true too. A lot more data, but the quality of the data is less because it's a lot harder to get anybody to tell you what they're going to do in, in polling like it you know, used to be uh, easier. Amy, you know, you guys made some news this week when our buddy Dave Wasserman moved the race in the, I think, the 17th district in New York. Uh, where Sean Patrick Maloney, the chairman of the Democrat Congressional Campaign Committee, is running for re-election. It's actually a lot of new territory for him. Yeah. You moved it to Tassa. No, no, it's been 42 years since the head of a campaign committee has lost his or her own seat. Yeah. Though they've come close, 2006, 20, and then now this year, you know, you've had the incumbent head of a campaign committee in a toss-up race. You're right. What's different this year is it's not just the environment. It's that 75 percent of that district is new to him. So redistricting plus the environment plus uh, Dave has a theory that um, I think is is a really smart one. Some of the biggest surprises in terms of Democrats who are in trouble um, or who are looking at polling right now, that is pretty bleak. uh, They're in really blue states, New York. Oregon, California, where they have what he's dubbing basically a double incumbent problem. (laughs) The party in power in Washington is Democratic. People are upset, as we just discussed, with 8% inflation, direction of the country. And they're in a state with one party control, where people are upset with homelessness and crime and just the sense that things are not going well in the state a state run by Democrats. So, so these. And the, incumbents- go- the governor is having a little more trouble. That's what Matthew I mean. Hochul, who, who, who succeeded Andrew Cuomo. Yeah. There's a lot of buzz about that here. And, and among my fellow swells in Manhattan that, oh my God, do we actually have a race here? Cause Zeldin shot up. Now I, I think the last couple of points are hard for a Republican in New York yeah. statewide. Yeah. It's not yeah. like it used but to be. But closer makes it harder for everybody else. Right. I know exactly. He's in the hunt, which is something. There are seven marginal races in New York. It's not just Maloney. That's right. It's the whole it's the whole package. Democrats were counting on New York to deliver gains. Yeah, right. margin. You know, and of course, the great God of irony has to get involved now, because if it is a bad Democratic year, then just even though it's about the new voters in this district, Mahoney goes down as I mean, life imitates art. Well, the other question I would ask you all in terms of like the closing arguments here for Democrats, we started with President Biden trying to say, well, it's a referendum. I mean, no, it's a choice. Who can go out and and deliver that message for Democrats in the last week? Who would you want, David, on your team to come in? And I mean, we know your old boss is going out on the road, but yeah. is there somebody else who can do that and remind the base about, you know, especially in some of these states where choice is, is 
going to be a much more dramatic issue than others. You know, I mean, the, the art of this or the, the trick of this is to send out surrogates who will uh, excite the base without uh, turning off independent and swing voters. Mm -hmm. And that's why Obama's in demand, because he polls better among those independent swing type voters than other Democrats. You can't send the president out there. You're not going to send a Hillary Clinton. You know, there aren't that many uh, people who can do that. So he is the key person. To me, the question is less um, about uh, the closing arg uh, who delivers the closing argument, although that's really important. And I think Obama is the right person for that. But it's it's also what is the closing argument? Yeah, right. that's the issue. That's you right. know, and uh, and I think and I think, you know, I've said for a long time here, you know, Mike said we've been having this discussion for a year. Remarkably, people still tune in and listen or download and listen. Well, they want to see if I'm right, and they're thinking he might be. Yeah, I know. That's a frightening proposition. But, but <laughs> I've, I've been revert to mean for a year. But anyway, go ahead. I think the abortion issue is hugely important, but it was imp it's important uh, in a larger context. It's important for making the case that instead of being focused on the basic bread and butter issues that are important in your lives. These Republicans are off on this ideological jag. You know, they want to deny elections. They want to ban abortion, you know, uh, and, you know, they want to impeach the president. Um, Marjorie Taylor Greene said, you know, she's going to right away be pushing for an impeachment proceedings against the president because of the war in Ukraine, uh, you know, and and you got to ask if people are worried about chaos, if they don't think if they're worried about their pocketbooks, does this crew represent a solution to that? You've got to try and set up the contrast, but you have to put it in a broader context and get it back to the economy. We're focused on this. If I'm a Democrat, I'm saying, hey, listen, all I think about every day is what are we going to do to get your cost of living down, and that's why I voted for prescription drug, blah, 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 and you go through all of that. And these guys, all they want to talk about is the last election and a lie that it was stolen. All they want to talk about is banning abortion. You know, and I would just... I agree. It's the only only move they've got, but the problem is it's a carom shot. It's, there's this crazy lady in Georgia who, while the Republican thing is, hey, what did groceries cost a year ago under Trump? What did gas cost? How you doing? Well, tell Biden. You know, yeah, it's no, the simplest I, look, argument I mean, in politics. So hijacking that is, is so I'm hard. I'm not saying it's easy. Yeah, no, no. And I'm not saying you're saying it's easy. But the problem is the Dems haven't even tried that. What they've been doing, they're trying to close on abortion. I mean, four days ago, Biden's out saying, I'm going to codify Roe. I mean, they're, they're trying to recapture that energy, but it feels a little spent. It'll be a factor. But I think they've always let the Republicans run away with the kitchen table stuff. And that is a problem. They're also dragging in to get to the kitchen table, to David's point. They're trying to say, okay, here's one thing we can do. We've, we've capped prescription drug costs, which, again, for folks who are looking at their day-to-day -day cost of living, rent, doesn't, gas, yeah, groceries, right. it doesn't really resonate. The second is bringing back yield Social Security Medicare attack ad, right, which comes up all, all the time and it feels a little bit forced. Um, and I, again, that's not where voters are sitting right now, where I do think um, they, you know, the, the other thing I think that has helped Republicans a lot 
is that Donald Trump has been remarkably quiet. He's not doing rallies. Yes. He's not on TV. You know, he's not doing his. It must be horse, horse tranquilizers. McConnell. I mean, into it's the quite loaf. remarkable. We haven't heard anything from him. He is doing a few appearances, but he's. But on the Trump scale. On the Trump scale, it's very quiet. Okay, let's take a break right here for a word from our sponsor, and we'll be right back. Mike, you know that every once in a while, it's been noted that I am not exactly the portrait of sartorial splendor. I can be a little rumpled. That's a word that's been used to describe me, but no. Yes, but no more. And you know why? Because I am now wearing grown, wrinkle-free shirts. I can pack them and I can pull them out and uh, they're comfortable and they're good looking and they don't look wrinkled. It's like they got in a lab. And they said, what do we do for Axelrod? And they came up, the people at Roan came up with these incredible shirts. Well, this is the pinnacle of shirt technology if they can beat the Axelrod wrinkle. I mean, this is world famous. I, exactly. No, I told I said last time I'm like the Samsonite gorilla of shirts. If, yeah. if, if you can make a shirt for me, you got it done. And these look a lot better than that Garanimal stuff you were wearing to try to mix and match <laughs> yeah. a little better. The plaid on plaid Chicago look. So look, Roan shirts are amazing because the dress shirt was due for radical reinvention. Mm-hmm. And to solve the crisis of Axelrod that frankly had people crying <laughs> on the runways of Paris and Milan, Roan stepped up to the challenge. Their commuter shirt is the most comfortable, breathable, and flexible shirt known to man. And here's why. It's all about mobility. Their comfortable four-way stretch fabric, perfect for the <clears throat> muscular frame like Axelrod and I yes. have, provides both breathability and flexibility that leaves you free to enjoy what life throws your way while you commute to work or to your 18 holes of golf. I mean, you don't want a straight jacket. You want to look good and feel good. And one thing that you know doesn't really apply to me, it's not a problem, but with Gold Fusion anti-odor technology, you'll be smelling fresh and clean all day. On top of that, Roan is 100% machine washable, so you can ditch the dry cleaner altogether. And it smells good, so there goes half our mailbag letters that we never read. (laughs) So I've got their shirts. I actually have their pants as well. Really, really comfortable. I mean, honest to God, this was a revelation to me. The commuter shirt can get you through any workday and straight into whatever comes next. Exactly. There's no reason the socialist workers' revolution should be uncomfortable in clothing. So head to roan.com slash hacks and use promo code hacks to save 20%, one out of five bucks, 20% off your entire order. That is a deal. So again, because yeah. you listen to us and we appreciate that and we appreciate Roan for sponsoring us, get that 20% off your entire order when you head to roan, R-H-O-N-E.com slash hacks and use the magic code hacks for 20% off. It's time to find your corner office comfort. So upgrade your closet now with Roan and use hacks to save 20%. There was this parlay of things that happened back in June that made this a more uh, potentially forgiving environment for Democrats. It wasn't just Dobbs. It was two mass, tragic mass shootings and Trump re-emerging in full bloom, uh, yep. you know, so, you know, uh, picking crazy candidates. Uh, and by the way, some of those crazy House candidates who ran under his umbrella, 
uh, either explicitly or implicitly got nominated and are going to cost Republican seats. That's going to that's one thing that may hold down their uh, their numbers a little bit. But all that came at once. And that really did sort of amplify the notion of the Republican Party as kind of a nutty extreme party. Uh, and that some of that stuff has receded uh, in September and October. And that is what's put Republicans back in a uh, in a good position. But are you surprised like that he's not doing a rally in Georgia right now or Pittsburgh? I have to believe he's going to be out there unless someone has persuaded him that things are in a good path here, but they're not certain. And if you go out there, you don't want to get blamed for losing a race. So uh, let's just uh, let's just stand pat if uh, if uh, if Oz and uh, Walker uh, win, if Kerry Lake wins, you know, you can claim you're the kingmaker. Right. You can claim Vance. He's going to yeah. win. Hey, we didn't talk about that race. You you mentioned it earlier that you know Ryan's never been near fifty uh, in that race, even though he's running a close race. But I say it every week, so I've got to say it again. He's run a <laughs> he's run a remarkable race, and he's sort of Absolutely. testing the limits of what a Democrat Absolutely. can do in uh, in Ohio. Oh, I, I give him the prize. He's running the best Democratic race in the country, but this year that place. And the funny thing is, if he does lose the progressives will still bury it. See, it doesn't work when the fact is he's conducting a class the Democratic Party ought to study. Well, there are a couple of races that moderates will point to in Wisconsin, Mandela Barnes, if he doesn't yeah. beat Ron Johnson, and Fetterman himself. And Fetterman, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the irony. For all the talk about crazy Republican primary voters nominating blocks of cement, the Senate could be lost because Democratic primaries pick two slow horses in Wisconsin. I mean, if Connor Lamb in Pennsylvania had been nominated. He wasn't the most comfortable Democratic primary candidate in the world, but I think he would have been hell on wheels against Oz. And I can make that argument in Wisconsin, too. So, it, you know, there's symmetry here. Um, the Democrat primary electorate is, is proving to be almost as much of a load as the Republican primary electorate when it comes to picking general election candidates who are competitive. <laughs> That's a hard one, but no, no, no. I mean, yeah. uh, because I, I mean, I'm always like I had this discussion the other day with somebody um, you know, people say, well, th- these are not Senate candidates, but, you know, yes, we've got Marjorie Taylor Greene, but you've got AOC. Well, you know, there's a difference between someone who think who, who you know, lines up with QAnon and believes that space lasers run by Jews have started the forest fires in California and someone who believes that everybody should have health care. I mean, it's not really. Oh, I agree. There's no moral equivalence, but it's like Hitler Mussolini. You know, it, one's a devil, but Mussolini's not a step forward. Well, that's a little I don't harsh think AOC too, helps the Democratic Party. I don't Party. think we're improving the analogies here. But, <laughs> but anyway, yeah, the Ryan race. Now, let me bring uh, up Pol Pot, because that, that's what's, you know. <laughs> it goes to this question, too, you all, of whether just how deep is is this partisanship in determining each and every one of these races? So if if ultimately mm-hmm. then candidate quality is only 5% of the equation and 95% of it is the lean of the state, that also is a, is a pretty damning indictment on our politics, right? That, um, you know, there was a time when a candidate running in a state that the other party's presidential nominee carried could still win 
because they could convince enough of those right. sort of soft partisans players. to be like, look, you know, I didn't vote for the guy in the White House, but this candidate seems pretty right. good, right? So that's really what we're testing, I think, in, o- in Ohio is, you know, just how committed are partisans to this idea that at the end of the day, I tell this story all the time when I see Heidi Heidkamp. New director of yeah. the Institute of Politics at the University of Chicago, former senator from North Dakota. Exactly. And I met a, this is in her re-election campaign in 2018, meet a guy who's the head of the corn growers or some sort of ag You You, you were stalking him, huh? Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That one really, really hurt. And note to the cancel squad that I didn't say a word. <laughs> it's all Axelrod. You should send your angry letters to Heidi Heidenkamp at the University of Chicago exactly. of Politics. But he said, oh, we love Heidi. She's great on our issues. Every time we come to Washington, she meets with us. Great. Oh, so you guys are going to vote for her? <laughs> no. No, we're not voting for her, right? I'm a Trump guy. Right. Okay, but... You- so that is just like the encapsulation of where we sit. So so Ryan's right. win would do would would do more than just show, oh, he ran a really good campaign. It would also suggest that voters are more malleable than we give them credit for. Um, and that our partisanship, there are ways to undo it. Politics is in horseshoes and coming close, you you don't get a prize. But he will run leaps and bounds ahead of the governor's candidate there. I mean, he will be the, you know, DeWine is running away with that governor's race and Ryan is neck and neck for the Senate. So that is a measure of something, but, uh, but you're right. And, you know, this whole, this whole notion of everybody goes, uh, you know, shirts and skins now in our politics uh, and picks a side and uh, is the reason why Democrats are nervous about Georgia becoming the tiebreaker right, if the be. Senate if the Senate is up for grabs because Walker's wearing that red jersey. I think the one thing I do think is true, and maybe a race like Ryan will prove it, though I doubt this is the year, is I don't think voters want to be that lockstep. I think the cl- political culture we have mm. now is telling them they have to be. And, uh, you know, there isn't there is an ability to break free of that stuff if the thought leaders, the Trumps, the militants on both sides, the people who pitched the old Bill Gray equation of I'm right, you're evil as a diagnosis. If if the leadership would get out of that business, that I bet the voters would. I think it's an unnatural position for people to deny their own ability to choose. And I really hope we get there. The challenge is that all the incentives are misaligned. They're misaligned in our media. They're misaligned in our no, politics. You know, you get rewarded for outrage. You get rewarded for demonization. Uh, you know, and ultimately, you know, these guys are going to look at what works. Oh, no, I agree. Look, that's why we're going to have new Trumpers on the right and the left who just say, hey, be a pop culture loudmouth and a polarizer, and you'll get more cable news coverage, you get more donations, you get more attention from the media, you get everything. I totally agree on the incentives. But there's also this, this I mean, I hate to keep going back to it, but uh, we just, you know, in the Utah electorate, this Evan McMullen coalition, if it holds oh, together, yeah. is fascinating. That, yeah. 38% of his voters are Republicans. Then he's got all the Democrats and almost all the independents. And the, the can- it's all, I'm fed up with this enough already. And Lee is a symbol of the extremity, the pack money, the sellout, the, the, the one vote out of a hundred. So we're see, you know, it's a fragile experiment, but I, there are some 
Murkowski is kind of interesting in Alaska, mm-hmm. though that, again, is a special place. Yeah, because of ranked choice voting there. Right, right, exactly. But we're see. I, I agree on the incentives. It's a mighty hill to climb. Are you predicting a McMullen victory? Well, I, um, I'm close to predicting it. There, there are two polls. There's one we did with David Hill. Uh, we're back in the field that had a plus four McMullen. And there are two in secret polls that a large corporate <laughs> interest there that doesn't have a, that have done, that they're showing all the polls. You can call Republican polls out. Nobody at the NRSC has released any polling lately. So I think it's definitely a margin of error race. Your pal Anzo has McMullen up at least one, maybe a little more. Uh, so it, what I am predicting but, uh, is but, it's a yeah. real race that's been undercovered. Because uh, there's not a lot of public polling in Utah, so that's what leads the media to find anything. I always joke that if I were made head of Xi's intelligence service in the PRC, I would immediately immediately allocate ten million bucks to bribing American media pollsters because you totally lead the Beltway conventional wisdom around based on. You're those assuming averages. that hasn't been done. Well, good point. Good point, comrade. <laughs> I thought you weren't <laughs> onto our trick yet. Uh, we have to replace you with a robot, like we did many others. Okay, then let's take a break right here. And we'll be right back. So are you wasting money on subscriptions? I know I am. 80% of people have subscriptions they forget about. Maybe for you it's an unused Amazon Prime account or a Hulu account that never gets streamed. Well, now there's this great app you can use that helps you track all of your expenses. And because of it, you no longer have to waste money on subscriptions you don't even use. You might have heard of it. It's called Rocket Money, formerly known as Truebill. Do you know how much your subscriptions really cost? Most Americans think they spend around $80 a month on subscriptions when the actual total is closer to 200 plus. You could be wasting hundreds of dollars each month on subscriptions you don't even know you have. So there's this great app that takes care of all of that. It's called Rocket Money, formerly known as Truebill. This app shows all your subscriptions in one place and then cancels for you whatever you don't still want. Rocket Money can even find subscriptions you didn't know you were paying for. And I know I've got some of those. You may even find you've been double charged for a subscription. To cancel a subscription, all you have to do is press cancel and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. So get rid of useless subscriptions with Rocket Money now. Go to rocketmoney.com slash hacks. Seriously, it could save you hundreds of dollars per year. That's rocketmoney, R-O-C-K-E-T-M-O-N-E-Y.com slash hacks. Cancel your unnecessary subscriptions right now at rocketmoney.com slash hacks. I mean, one of the questions I have about that race in Utah, I mean, I assume that Lee is doing this, but I, I, uh, I presume they're making the argument that since McMullen says he won't organize with the Republicans that, you know, they're turning that into a key race, too, for control. They're, they're trying to make him a D, but I'll give Evan points earlier, said I won't caucus with Schumer. And we've run in the super PAC and we've done the bulk of the television side. Uh, we've run ads attacking McConnell and Schumer on behalf of McMullen. McMullen's best soundbite on the air is, look, I'm not going to take orders from Trump or Joe Biden. And instead, why don't we do what's right for the state and the country? So we're safe. It, it is an unnatural act, but it is a race right now. And, uh, you know, I know Lee's afraid because he's bringing in Tulsi Gabbard. Now, what she is the political answer to, I'm not sure. <laughs> but um, it, it's just a fascinating little side thing, which is kind of an experiment 
uh, to see if there is kind of a hybrid way to go. Uh, I know I know some people who said her quitting the Democratic Party and going on the stump for the Republican Party has improved the quality of both parties. But uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, you know what? There are enough of us. The people need to be heard from. So, yeah, Jeff, Julie Orchestra, can you hit it? It's listener mailbag. Amy's got to go warn the country about the elections. What's really going to happen? So we're going to lose her. So real quick, one question from the mailbag from Ted to Amy: To what extent will the November midterm elections be a dress rehearsal for the 2024 presidential election, a beta test for the various red state? restrictions on voting? What strategies and tactics are Democrats and Republicans likely to deploy in these states on November 8th? Oh, that is a big question. I think there is going to be a tremendous amount of media attention in these battleground states around what it looks like to actually show up and vote. Are there going to be people trying to disrupt that, make it uncomfortable for people to feel like they can, you know, go in and either drop off their ballot or stand in line. Um, I think we're going to hear, especially if these races are very close, some of the similar arguments we heard in 2020 about ballots that come in after the polls have closed or after Election Day. Remember, there are a lot of states that allow you still to count ballots even after Election Day, as long as those ballots are postmarked. So I'm sure we'll hear some fighting about that. But I think ultimately, you know, the, the well, maybe I'll, I'll put it this way, because of all the attention on the election deniers, on the threats of violence, I think we have a tre- tremendous amount of media coverage of potential um, problems in the ways in which people are going to the polls or the, the threats that uh, directed at poll workers. My hope is that amount of attention is going to be helpful, sort of like, you know, sunshine as the great disinfectant in keeping, if anything does happen, it's right front and center immediately. It doesn't sort of fester in there and lead people to the place where we were in 2020 saying, well, I've heard all these stories or we had a little clip of this person doing this and hiding ballots in a mm-hmm. shoebox or whatever. So I don't know. We already have some of that. We've got, we had a story out of Arizona, a couple of gunslingers hanging outside of a a drop-off ballot box to try and intimidate voters. So, you know, this is getting covered, but. That's right. It's getting covered. I don't know if they're doing, both parties are doing all the same vigilance they'd be doing in a sort of quote unquote traditional election. I think it's the secretaries of state and the election officials actually who have the biggest job ahead of them being as transparent as possible, doing as much as they can to educate voters. It's not going to help. The crazies are going to be crazy. The conspiracy theories are going to conspiracy theory. But if you can continue to keep majorities of people in your state educated on how this process actually works, I think it helps. It helps. doesn't solve it, but it can help. Part of that education process should be understand who's running for these election supervision offices like secretaries of state that's right who are election deniers because that will have implications for 2024 i think the media is looking for it and they're going to find it and be appropriately hysterical that's my prediction (laughs) 
but I don't think it'll be the material outcome driver of this election. I, agree. I don't think it'll it'll be the reason why. Amy, you go catch your plane. We'll clean up here. <laughs> Thanks, you guys. It was a lot of <laughs> fun. Amy, thank you. We'll talk to you it later. It was great. All right. Bye. All right. Great to be with you. See you. So, Murphy, Tina wants to know, I'd like to ask if there's anything you can tell us about the Iowa Senate race. I'm interested mainly because I find it an astonishing act of selfishness on the part of Mr. Grassley to nominate, I guess, to run at the age of 89. It seems to me that people of Iowa, be they Republicans or Democrats, deserve better than that. So I'm wondering if the voters are annoyed by this or indeed if they are okay with it. How goes things over there? Well, you know, 89 years old, that's nine fine decades of wisdom and leadership. Uh, (laughs) You know, so Chuck Grassley has been an institution there for a long time. There's an Ann Seltzer who's the fabled Iowa pollster uh, poll out in the Des Moines Register that shows Admiral Mike, I'm blanking on his last. Franken. Franken. Yeah. No, no relation to Al. Right. Who's been a better than average long shot Democratic candidate catching on a bit. And uh, Seltzer's new data shows a very close race. And look, I in a wave election, I'll bet Grassley hangs on. But the age thing is a thing. And it's a yeah. thing in the Republican Party because it's a cannon fired at Biden every 12 minutes. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised at all in a, in a less wavy election if there was an upset defeat there. And I think age would be the motive for it. But I'm not close enough to what's going now to have a super firm opinion. My guess would be the wave will save him, despite this, I think, real problem. At a, at a minimum, that's going to be a lot closer race than anyone would have expected with Chuck Grassley on the ballot. And uh, and age would be uh, the reason. You got one for me? And now to bet cleanup, we have Jeff, who wants David Axrod to answer this question. What is the Biden camp strategy with Kamala Harris? Many folks were excited about her as the VP pick, not me. But that choice does not seem to have, quote, panned out. Or am I missing something? Shouldn't she be out there on the midterm campaign trail or hammering against the Dobbs decision or doing something to excite the Dems base that Biden can't do because he's older, whiter, and mailer, not Norman. Is there a strategy <laughs> to keep her out of public view, a method to the, all this? What do you say, Axe? Well, like the cold hard math of this is that she's sitting there with, a, uh, with an approval rating lower than Biden's in the 30s, uh, and she is not broadly an asset. They have used her uh, to go out and hammer away on the uh, Dobbs decision. But I would guess that campaigns are not clamoring to uh, to to bring her in, and maybe they'll use her in some targeted way, in some targeted uh, communities. But the larger question's important, which is what is her role, how are they using her, and how is she performing? And that's still something that they're going to have to think about. Biden says he's going to run. She's going to be his VP if he runs. Uh, she will be an issue in that campaign because he will be 82 years old when he takes office again if he were to run. So these are questions that they really need to confront. But in the short term, I don't think they're going to confront them in the next 10 days. Yeah, I totally agree. Look, they've got to do something about her if he's going to run again because the spotlight will only get bigger. They need to find an arc to give her a comeback if that's even possible. Hey, I forgot to plug it so quickly. If you have a question for the hacks, send it to the mailbag. Hacksontap at gmail.com. Hacksontap at gmail.com. All right, Brother Axelrod, we're getting close. Oh, oh, we are indeed. We are indeed. It's exciting. You know, it's like kids at Christmas. We're, uh, We're all ginned up. Next week, tune in because we're going to name our upset predictions. I just made that up, but I think we should. Wow. 
All right. Well, thanks for the alert. Okay. <laughs> I'll see you next week, brother. All right, pal. See you. Thank you.